WLRN Edition 84. Broadcasting in 3, 2, 1. I was born woman. Off my knees I will stand for my liberation. Sisters rise again. I was born woman. Off my knees I will stand for my Greetings, and welcome to the 84th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, April 6th, 2023. This is Jenna, your resident sound engineer, grateful lesbian, and happy waitress. This month's edition focuses on feminist collectives. We'll hear an excerpt of an interview segment did with Bonnie Atwood, feminist lobbyist, about her experience of feminist collectives as a young woman in the late 1960s and early 1970s, and her thoughts on how and why feminist collectives have changed since then. We'll also hear commentary from Thistle about feminist collectives from the 1970s and 80s and how they inspired her to co-create our collective here at WLRN. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here are Emily and Aurora with women's news from around the globe for this Thursday, April 6th, 2023. On March 8th, women around the world marked International Women's Day by getting out, standing up, and rallying together to end capitalist patriarchal tyranny. Women in Jakarta, Indonesia, gathered to demand that the government enforce recent sexual harassment legislation and do more to protect women workers, particularly domestic workers. In the Philippines, hundreds of protesters from a coalition of women's organizations came together in Manila to call for higher wages and better employment opportunities for women. While women in Paris and London protested against proposed reforms to the pension age. Parisian protesters explained how these reforms would disproportionately disadvantage women. Like all reforms, this pension bill ignores women. Now women will have to work more years to make up for the years they had children, as if having children isn't work. The state is against women, as all states are, and unless governments include women, you end up with laws like this pension reform, which is profoundly sexist. Hundreds of thousands of demonstrators participated in marches in Spain, where clashes within the feminist movement, as well as between feminists and the country's left-wing government, were evident in the divisive tenor of events. One source of contention, predictably, was a bill passed last year that legalized gender self-identifications for persons 14 years old and over. Another rift was the result of a recent law meant to mitigate sexual violence, but which in fact led to reduced sentences for over 700 sexual offenders. Although the first Women's Day event was organized in New York City in 1909, the holiday is not as widely nor as energetically observed by U.S. feminists as it is around the globe. This year was another relatively quiet Women's Day in the United States, though small demonstrations were held in cities like Philadelphia, primarily focusing on threats to abortion access posed by the overturning of Roe v. Wade in June 2022. 
In the United States as well as the United Kingdom, a popular theme for Women's Day events was solidarity with the women of Iran and Afghanistan, where extreme sexual inequality and patriarchal state brutality against women have gained international notoriety over the last year. In Mexico, thousands flock to the streets to protest men's violence against women and to demand legalized abortion, leading to some clashes with police. Activists in Mexico City renamed streets with women's names pasted over the street signs, and at the National Palace, women painted the names of murdered women across the metal barriers that were placed there to protect the palace from protesters. One young woman gave a simple answer when asked why she attended the protests, quote, I march for women's rights so that there will be no more dead women so that we can reach our home safely. In Pakistan, the Urat March, which translates to Women's March in English, has been held to commemorate International Women's Day each year since 2018. Tens of thousands of women and their male allies attended dozens of events in cities across the country, calling for bodily autonomy and spotlighting crimes against women such as sexual harassment and honor killings. A 2022 Human Rights Watch report described male violence against women including rape, murder, acid attacks, domestic violence, and forced marriage, as endemic throughout Pakistan. This year's Orat March drew a backlash from conservative Muslim groups, which staged a hijab march featuring women veiled head-to-toe in black robes, while men from these groups hurled stones, chunks of mud, and even their shoes at Orat March participants. Women were also met with abuse from the police, who attacked demonstrators in the capital city of Islamabad, rushing them with batons as the women tried to enter the rally area. An organizer of the Islamabad event denounced the state as anti-woman and called the violence that women faced from male authorities, quote, nothing new. She told reporters, we speak of equality and access to public spaces for women. These are the reasons why the state will always have a problem with us. On March 2nd, Tennessee Governor Bill Lee, a Republican, signed legislation banning drag performances in public spaces as well as the surgical or hormonal transitioning of minors. Supporters of these bills cite concern over children's safety and their exposure to explicit sexual behavior in public. While critics of the bill claim that the bill's broad language, which defines drag performers as, quote, male or female impersonators, makes it a subtle and sinister way to further criminalize just being trans, as the ACLU of Tennessee's Henry Seaton says. There is also angst that the bill will put a damper on the summer's pride festivities, of which drag is a staple. In the wake of the mass shooting at Nashville's Covenant School on March 27th by 28-year-old Audrey Hale, a trans-identified female, Critics have ridiculed these bills for their stated aim of, quote, protecting children, given that assault weapons like those used by Hale remain legal in the state. They do not acknowledge the possibility that children may require protection from multiple things at once, for example, guns and misogynist hypersexualization, guns and a predatory medical industry. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds also signed a bill into law this month intended to curb the transmedicalization of children. The so-called health care restricted by the bill includes the prescription of puberty blockers and hormone treatment, as well as cosmetic surgeries. With the passing of this legislation, Iowa becomes the ninth state to place legal restrictions on the medical transitioning of children. 
Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Mississippi, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Utah have all enacted similar laws in recent years. Meanwhile, Minnesota lawmakers spearheaded by Representative Leah Fink, a trans-identified male, have passed a bill making the state a trans health refuge, open to minors seeking puberty blockers, hormone treatments, or surgeries off limits to them in their home states. The lawmakers explain that the bill is meant to, quote, send a message to transgender people that they are welcome in Minnesota. Presumably, their money will be quite welcome as well. Minnesota physicians willing to prescribe hormones and perform cosmetic surgeries on children have stated that they've already seen an increase in prospective patients from other states. The mayor of College Park, Maryland, was arrested on multiple counts of possessing and distributing child pornography on March 2nd after the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children notified the county police department of a social media account in the county posting child pornography, the account was traced to Patrick Wojan, 47, who had been the mayor of College Park since 2015. Police recovered a tablet, computer, storage device, and multiple cell phones during a search of Wojan's home. Following his arrest, Wojan resigned from his position as mayor saying that he was, quote, stepping away to deal with his own mental health. On March 29th, a grand jury indicted the former mayor on 80 child pornography-related charges. On March 27th, a 28-year-old woman named Audrey Hale shot and killed six people, including three nine-year-old children, at a Christian school outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Hale was a former student at the school and, according to her LinkedIn profile, had recently started identifying as transgender. In a press conference, police initially stirred confusion over Hale's gender identity by referring to her as a trans woman. CBS News executives banned their reporters from referring to Hale as transgender, claiming her gender identity had yet to be confirmed. While NBC News published an article with interviews from trans-identified people whose fear of violence against them had increased since the shooting. Online trans activists bemoaned the news outlets that referred to Hale with female pronouns. Nashville police say Hale had a detailed plan of how to attack her former school and had several other targets she intended to attack after the school. Several prominent trans-positive organizations have issued statements lobbying the police to not release Hale's manifesto, arguing it could inspire further violence. A Galveston, Texas man is suing three women for helping his now ex-wife to terminate her pregnancy in the summer of 2022. Marcus Silva claims that two of the ex-wife's friends conspired with her to illegally obtain medical abortion pills through the mail, while a third woman delivered the medication in order that the ex-wife could terminate her pregnancy at home. The lawsuit alleges that self-managed medical abortion qualifies as murder under state law and therefore falls under the wrongful death statute. At this time, no criminal charges have been filed against the woman, and Silva is seeking $1 million in damages. Earlier in March, five women sued the state of Texas for restricting their access to abortion care in spite of life-threatening health risks. According to their lawsuit, doctors refused to provide the women with abortions out of fear they would be prosecuted. In Canada, a male powerlifter named Avi Silverberg entered himself in competition as a female to protest the Canadian Powerlifting Union's transgender policy, which allows athletes to compete in the sex class of their choice with no requirements. Many of the current titles for Canadian women's powerlifting have been held for the past few years by a trans-identified male who goes by Anne Andres, 
Silverberg beat one of Andre's records by over 100 pounds. After the competition, Andre's posted a video to Instagram in which he says, quote, Maybe my participation isn't necessarily fair, you know, there's science, whatever. And goes on to argue that because he is polite and people have been kind to him, it means he should still be allowed to compete as a female. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, April 6, 2023. I'm Emily Fay. Share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at WLRNmedia.com and letting us know what's going on. See you.
That was Joan Osborne with her song, Safety in Numbers. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Sekhmet did with feminist lobbyist Bonnie Atwood about American feminist collectives in the past and present. The way I got into activism was through my strong opposition to the war in Vietnam. I was in college. The war was going on. Um, I was extremely appalled at what the United States was doing. And so I was in groups there, groups of both men and women students. And there was, you know, we read alternative newspapers all the time. There was one day an alternative paper came to my attention and there was a little ad about a women's group that was going to be meeting in the city. And it took me less than a nanosecond to say, I'm going to be there. And I had very close women friends that I showed this to. And they, too, took less than a nanosecond to say, we're going to be there. Nothing else is as important as this. The men in the anti-war movement were a lot of them tromping all over us. We needed a women's group. We needed a women's group that was about women. We could be, you know, we could incorporate anti-war stuff in that, but the main idea was it was about women. And when I say about women, I don't mean empowering women. I mean, liberating women. I choose my words very carefully. It was about liberating women. Hence, we called it women's liberation. So would you consider that first women's group that you joined a feminist collective? Oh, interesting question. We didn't use the word collective for that group. We had collectives later. Uh Uh, We used the word collectives a little later. But that group was a meeting group. Mm -hmm. We, We met every week and it was a large group, like 15, 20 women. A few of us knew each other outside of that group, but we I would we were not a collective. We were not as close as a collective. We were just starting to open our eyes about, hey, you know, women can vote, but let's so what? <laughs> do other things. Let's do let's do other things. Yeah. And we were very I won't say we were all anti-government. I'll almost say that we 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 were not fans, uh, you know, largely because of the war, but other things too. We were not fans of what was going on in the government, and some of us were from rather wealthy backgrounds, and some of us were from very working class backgrounds. There was a great spread there, which made it interesting and helpful. So how did you transition from that group to the feminist collectives that followed? Well, we started forming consciousness raising groups. I guess everyone's familiar with that concept. Yeah, our our audience definitely is familiar with consciousness raising. Uh-huh. Yeah, we we divided up. We thought, you know, our our big meeting group it's it's really big. We we wanted to divide up so we could get have more personal conversations. So we had 
divided up and almost randomly, really, of groups of six, seven, eight women that would meet. And then we would then we would get into nitty gritty talks, which means mostly sex. (laughs) You know, we would really, really talk. And (laughs) so we had the consciousness raising groups, which I loved. That was a wonderful, for me, that was a wonderful experience. After a few months, they kind of um, ran their course. The ones I I was in a couple of them. That's what happened. And there were communes, which I distinguish from collectives, because communes usually had men included. It was just a nice, cheap way to live somewhere. And we had lots of couch surfing and hippiness. But anyway, from there, to go to actual collectives, I can think of easily three beautiful collectives. One was a theater group. They had a name. I can't remember their name. I wasn't in it. It was women who, they did a little bit of guerrilla theater, street theater, but they also put on, they wrote and performed uh, live shows with women themes. That was a great group. Then we also had uh, the Off Our Backs Collective. I knew them a little bit better because I wrote a few uh, stories for them. And it was a great newspaper. Everybody knows about Off Our Backs, I think. That was definitely a collective. But but my favorite one was the Furies because that's where I hung out. They had a house. It is now a historic and historic landmark, which which I'm so happy to see. I mean, if it's it's a, still in D.C. with the plaque that says this is an historic landmark. That was it. Wasn't really spoken about a lot, but was for lesbians. And I wasn't a lesbian, but I hung out anyway, and they didn't care one way or another. It was just women. I loved it. I loved it. The goal was to become self-sufficient a sovereign group of women that relied on men for nothing. So we had classes. We had a newspaper called The Furies. I really liked the group. I had to leave to go back to college. When I decided to go back to college, that was the only reason I left. But I'm dismayed about what I have heard about how it dissolved. So I'm. this is hearsay. If you were a lawyer, you could say objection, hearsay. This is hearsay that leadership was frowned upon. If a woman who started acting as the leader, she was dealt with and she was eventually asked to leave. I was not part of those conversations. I believe that they happened because I hear that from reliable sources and I have uh, some distress about that. I mean, I don't know what they saw there. I don't know if the leader was acting like Hitler or if the leader was just somebody that was more organized than the others. I don't know. But I think that I think that's why we no longer have the Furies. But that was a collective, beautiful collective, beautiful example of a collective. I loved it. About how long were they active? I'm going to guess a year. 
really that's a year so that that maybe maybe longer maybe longer and the other one that you mentioned by name what was it off our back off our backs backs. how how long did off our backs last oh long time oh many years yeah many years I think they're. I think they might be going now because they're. They're. You know, their purpose was publishing. I, I used to have every single copy of their newspaper until, until I started to have to weed out all my stuff. So what they did actually didn't lead to much infighting. It was just picking out essays and fiction to print, and I and it was good stuff. I I. I think I had one short story that I had printed in that. And um, it was just, it was just very good. Just very good. So how key do you think the feminist collectives of the sixties and seventies were to achieving feminist goals? Very key. Yes. Very key. It, that, may, that That's an important part of history that made us who we are. Yes. That brought us, that bonded us. What do you think are some of the things that came out of those collectives beyond the consciousness raising and the relationship building? I mean, do you think you can trace certain concrete changes, whether legal or cultural, back to the feminist collectives? Well, I'm going to first say we all gained confidence because the world was not an encouraging place for us. Not, not my world. I mean, you know, I don't come from a prominent family where we all sit around the dinner table and talk about the law, you know, (laughs) Um, it gave me confidence. It gave a lot of us confidence. It helped us examine our values legally. Yeah. A lot of legal steps forward not as much as we want but legally it helped but now we're going legally downhill with the transgender bills but yes i think that the collectives helped in all those ways we stopped being mean girls tell me a little bit more about that what do you mean by that well i'm that was just a that was just a, a wisecrack which I'm famous for, you know, we have the stereotypical high school girl who hangs out with other girls, but in reality doesn't like them. Right. Because they're all jealous of each other. They're all in constant competition. And my high school, which I love now, but it was cliques. It was a bunch of cliques. I wasn't in the top clique. I wasn't even in any clique. I kept my head down. That's how you're safe in high school. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. So being in a women's liberation collective was the opposite of that. We didn't have to worry about who's prettier than who and who's got a boyfriend who got asked to the prom and healthy female bonding. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we could be women. We could figure out what it means to be a woman because Hey, news, we're different from men. We're better than men. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're better. We're just we're better. Def- it's it's a we are. We are uh, we're better than that. <laughs> yeah, I, we're just better. 
we're just better. I mean, there's just something in us with a few exceptions. There are a few very hateful women that exist, but, and there's some good men. Okay. I'll give you that. But um, women are better than men. Women are more sensitive. Women are more compassionate. Women are slower to want to destroy things. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So why do you think feminist collectives as they existed, you know, during radical feminism in the 70s, why do you think that they pretty much disappeared from the feminist landscape and have not really I will tell you why. I will tell you why. Okay. It's because of women's studies. Everybody started enrolling in women's studies and the world became all about women's studies and gender studies and gender fluid and born in different bodies and all that. It got it got sucked away by women's studies. That's what I think. So are you saying that once women's studies became a thing academically, like at an institutional level, that ended up sort of replacing the more grassroots political organizing that that's my that's my theory i don't know everything in the world i know this is surprising but i don't know everything in the world but that's my theory is that women's studies just vacuumed it up because i guess that does make sense because almost always it seems back then in the 70s and well 60s and 70s most if not all of the radical and lesbian feminists who were active and in those groups were young. They were in their late teens, early to mid twenties. And so there, those are, that's exactly the age range that if you're going to go to college, you go to college. And so it does make sense that like, if you're a young woman and you decide you're going to college and then you go, Oh, there's a, you know, I can, I can, channel my feminists my budding feminist feelings into a women's studies uh degree then i don't have to go do this extra oh i have work. a story okay i have an i have another story that bur- burns me up 10 20 years ago i don't know what year long time ago um there was the Miss America contest. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try not, I'll try, I'm trying not to throw up at this moment. And this gal, I know her name, but I won't say it. She was in interviewed in the news and she claimed her claim to fame was that she was the first feminist Miss America contestant. And I said, what? That I mean, that makes no sense. That makes no sense. But yeah, that was her deal. And the the newspapers just bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And how did she support that? She said, I majored in women's studies. So apparently, just by 
signing up for women's studies in your course catalog, you can call yourself a feminist. And you can do Miss America. You can do stripping. You can do anything you want. And not only do you get to do anything you want, you get to say, I'm the first one really pissed me off. What What's funny is that we went from, and I forget what year it was, you probably remember, um, we went from, you know, the protest of, I think it was the Miss America pageant. That was 68, 1968. Yeah. Where, was that one of the events where like the, the women protesting were like, burning their uh their bras or throwing their high heels well, in the trash or whatever yeah, they didn't they what i'm i was not there what i have heard was technically they didn't burn anything but they did have what they called the freedom trash can <laughs> and they threw bras and other symbolic items that were associated with beauty yeah. pageants right and in, in and, and that got a, and that got a lot of attention and the world distilled that into bra burning sure. which doesn't so, bother me I, I would have been fine to me if they burned their bras so we went from that protest in 68 to uh a miss america contestant claiming to be a feminist because she's got a studies bachelor's degree. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Well, I will say in between, I mean, Miss America started losing its luster and still is. Sure. But yeah, she competed. <laughs> you know, it's a comp, you know, it's a scholarship competition, right? So she competed as the first feminist. So the thing is not dead yet. From across the femisphere to women worldwide, worldwide to women worldwide, radical feminist media to break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, radical feminist media to break the sound barrier. This is your grassroots, 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 grassroots community radio station. This is your radio station. Women's Liberation Radio News. collectives had their heyday in the 1970s and 80s both in America and abroad. They were developed by women coming from the anti-war and anti-establishment movements who had turned to the project of women's liberation. These collectives had cool names like Spare Rib, The Red Rag, and Red Stockings, many with references to the female body or the myths of patriarchy and how women came to be. With the dawn of the internet, organizing collectively has never been so easy. Collective organizing tends to be non-hierarchical, or at least it is ideally. 
Though naturally, some members of collectives have more skin in the game or more skill or more motivation or any number of variations that make it so that not everyone in a collective works the exact same amount or participates with the same vigor, level of skill or discipline. But collectives and collectivism are the closest thing we have to creating a social structure that includes and acknowledges each member's contributions equally. This structure inspires working together in cooperation rather than in competition and spreads the work around so that no one individual gets overwhelmed. This structure is how the WLRN Staff Collective operates and has been able to achieve the Fempire you see today when you Google our name. Learning from the past and how collectives operated in the 1970s has informed our ability to stay functional and to enjoy each other's company while we work. This is important because what we are facing the near total takeover of politics by authoritarian and irrational forces calls for a grounded and community building social structure in response. I think it's safe to say at this point that trans politics is a misogynistic necrophilic agenda aimed at total female erasure and annihilation and that it's failed so far. Women still are here. Our biosphere, Mother Earth, is also still here. Women are 52% of the 7.8 billion people dwelling on the planet. I am ever hopeful that a critical mass of us, which could be just a few hundred thousand, will turn our female rage into the elixir fuel we need to blast ourselves into our sisterhood, leading us home. Think safety in numbers, sisters. The tides are turning in the patriarchal public sphere where many people are beginning to question the sanctity of prescribing life-changing hormones and surgeries to children and of including men in women's sports or prisons. These big news items are beginning to break the sound barrier and pique many an average Jane or Joe. Let's use this public change of heart to invite women to join us in building institutions and culture that stand separate from patriarchy. My hope is that women learning of the harms of transgenderism will want to turn away from this awful patriarchal system that brought us war and the mutilation of children's bodies and join in our collective global sisterhood. Let's make peak trans peak our numbers in the rank and file women's movement. As an aside, I do believe there is no way to separate entirely from the patriarchal public. But I like how WDI's Feminist Question Time is doing it. They use technology to hold international teleconferences once a week live on Saturdays with hundreds of women from around the globe. The live events are for women only, but the video is preserved and launched onto their YouTube channel for all the world to see including women who are potentially looking for ways to connect to other women in women-only intellectual and cultural spaces. During the live show, there is a chat feature where the women get to interact, abuzz with the eager chatter and wit you would expect from a people finding itself. It is something to experience and behold if you are a woman, and something that men will never see. 
What a thrill! Just that little space online creates the groundwork and plants the seeds for our international global sisterhood, our collective culture that will offer a pathway to women everywhere toward freedom from male rule. Women's liberation today, due to unparalleled social, economic, and environmental crises, is not about creating a utopia, but rather is about banding together, having each other's backs, and the glory and sometimes even pleasure of surviving as we fight back in community and solidarity. We need to talk. We need to be allowed to make mistakes and stay instead of running away or being chased out. We need to see each other as ourselves, damaged by patriarchy and internalized misogyny, but willing, alive, and here to actualize our potential and contribute to the cause. It is only through our unity of purpose, if that power is harnessed, will we win back our rights to single-sex spaces in patriarchal public and to spinning and weaving our collective sisterhood in culture and institutions outside of patriarchy. Winning means no more mutilated children, women's sports for women only, bathrooms, locker rooms, public showers and changing rooms for women only, and it also means spaces and places for women to heal and to thrive as our own people away from men. How do we harness this power of unity? Well, showing up to women's spaces with open-mindedness, open-heartedness, powerful strength of character, creativity, and a strong will can go a long way in forging unity in my experience. This is my opinion and my tactic when dealing with conflicts within the sisterhood, our collective presence online, in each other's minds and hearts, and with each other at potlucks and socials. I want to have discussions in our women's movement and collectives that bring us together and to a place of healing and power. Potlucks and social gatherings are good for that. Each of us brings something to the table, and we need to sit back sometimes and allow each other to give, no matter the dish a woman may bring to the luck, or how clumsily you may think a sister is giving to the cause. We are many, and we are one. We are women, and we embody a collective womanhood that within patriarchy can find herself entwined in male power and unable to break free. But in our women-only cultural spaces, such as the Michigan Women's Music Festival, among others, women build relationships and through time, we work it all out. This is what I've seen year after year of going to women-only social gatherings in Michigan, our homeland of sorts here in the USA, but also internationally for those of us who remember the glory days of Mishfest when it drew tens of thousands of women to the land to practice self-care and herbalism, to dance, to sing, to watch live music that was as good as any you could see in patriarchy. Well, even better in my estimation, having seen Tribe 8 in 1998, a punk band at Mishfest. It was electric and so exciting, but without the fear and edge that the threat of male violence brings. Truly a healing space Mishfest was, and a place of women's unity until the trans cult interfered with that. Throughout the 2000s, leading up to the eventual ending of Mishfest in 2015, we saw economic boycotts of the festival, 
both performers and participants calling the festival transphobic or even hateful and bigoted. This all came about because of trans politics that encouraged a faction of women at Mishfest to fight for the inclusion of men at the festival. But even that annihilation of Mishfest won't stop us because women are a force of nature and we feel the need to gather and cultivate our relationships deep in our bones. As long as women exist, some form of women's culture is going to exist. I'm happy to report that today, seven years after the cancellation of Mishfest, there is a thriving female-centered, heart-opening, and music-loving community growing again on the land. Countless women through the 47 years of Mishfest-inspired gatherings have had their ashes scattered on the land, while the living name trees on the land in their honor. It is truly a place of death and renewal and a place that women created because we can and we should when we come together with a desire to build from the ground up. The pathway to unity and a winning strategy is calm analysis and solidarity. If we employ that combo, we are sure to win. And if we do it right, we may even achieve the deep pleasure of group mind aimed at good, beginning to feel like what a flock of birds may feel or a school of fish or a beehive or any number of tribal species that tap into their collective for survival. It feels good to forgive and learn from mistakes, to see women as founts of potential rather than twisted psychos, to move forward and make projects happen steadily and responsibly until we achieve a renewable state of collective consciousness, ethics, and embodiment that can be sustained and built through time. In this scenario, the individual is empowered and so is the group. There may be some leading fish or birds out front, but the group as a whole is tapping into group mind in order to soar, to swim, to do what they do and to do it safely. These images are what I have in mind and other nature images like the spinning of a spider's web when I think about what WLRN does once a month and that we have been doing for seven years come May's anniversary edition. Which, oh my gosh, is it May 2023 already or almost? <laughs> Happy spring, everyone. I've been seeing many of my herbalist sisters posting photos of blooming plants and flowers lately that make me realize the seasons are changing once again and once again, we will be blessed with spring. Though for how much longer? Who can say? It seems likely that in our lifetimes, there will be climate crisis catastrophe after catastrophe until there is no more spring. The question then becomes, how do you want to go out from this dying earth and what strategy is the best hope we have? For me, the best way to fight is arm in arm with my sisters in solidarity, not in mistrust and fear that certain women are not equipped to pull it off correctly or will damage our sisterhood more than enhance it. True, there are some very damaged women out there who show up to our festivals, political and cultural spaces, but if we are a critical mass of thousands or even millions, those sisters can be absorbed into the fold and even provided with intermediate care services that help them to heal. I'm thinking here of the incredible mental health and physical health services set up at Mishfest during its heyday. Everything you needed was there on the land. 
It is damaging to our unity and collective effectiveness for competitive, egotistical, and power-driven sisters to be excluding, shunning, and refusing to work things out with those in the sisterhood who are among the most damaged. I think that there are women in our movement who largely are ignored and also are underutilized because groups of women in prominent feminist circles judge them to be unworthy. This is not how you build a grassroots movement that gives every woman a job, no matter what a woman's skill level may be or what you may think her skill level is. Women are surprising. Women can grow and heal. We should view each woman as a fount of potential, just waiting to be tapped. Women's collectives and cultural spaces can be the nurturing environments for women to come into their own power and pleasure in their own time. Granted, creative solutions may need to happen for collective members who are recovering from trauma, which just means that you need enough women, a large enough group, that the slack can always be taken up by another sister, and we all share the load until it is not a burden, but a pleasure to be working with each other. This also means being able to know how much you can handle, which is another thing I feel proud of in my work with WLRN. Our main goal is a monthly podcast that features world news, music, interviews, and a commentary. That's not too much of a goal to accomplish each month, even when some women are unable to fulfill their assignment, or they decide to creatively do part of their task, but pass off other parts of their task to others. When women are working together and everyone cares, they tend to work it out diplomatically, cooperatively, and with consideration and care. I really like Starhawk's model of organizing that promotes the use of affinity groups or small groups of like-minded individuals who band together in project-driven collectives to be like cells in the body politic. This way, even if you don't want to be in a certain group or the group may not want you, you can still plug in by co-creating and forming your own group with its own independent projects. Ideally, this would be what is happening. But in reality, too many women compare themselves to each other and are in conflict. Too many women lord it over others, especially prominent women, and too many women feel shunned and unseen. How do we get the lorder overers to view the little people, not with fear, but rather with invitations to participate in the ways that suit them best? How can we employ a diversity of tactics, embracing our differences even as we may disagree, and also unify to become a functioning, multidimensional, intentional, and international social movement for the liberation of all girls and women. These are questions we can only answer in practice and through trial and error. I stand before you today proud in my commentary here on the airwaves of this little radio station I founded in order to have a voice and to amplify the voices of my sisters. Get out there, sisters. Find women's spaces. Create women's spaces and culture and experience the buzz of women's collective rage bubbling up to the surface and experience the joy of women finding ourselves in our own visions and dreams. 
As we close out another edition of our monthly podcast, I want to mention WLRN's billboard campaign we're currently crowdfunding for. Our collective believes in the power of consciousness raising, and billboards reach hundreds of thousands of viewers. You may remember two years ago we funded a billboard in Milwaukee to fight the Equality Act. That billboard inspired large donors to put one up in Tallahassee and New York. And recently, WDIUSA noted that the Equality Act, quote, seems to be dead, at least for now. Our current campaign is in support of author J.K. Rowling for taking a stand for women. Initially by openly supporting Maya Forstadter in her wrongful termination case, and ultimately by refusing to parrot the lie trans women are women. It is a black billboard with white text saying we love J.K. Rowling for speaking the truth, and promotes the new podcast The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. We launched the campaign in March in honor of Women's History Month, and we're about a fifth of the way to our goal. Go to givesendgo.com and look for WLRN J.K. Rowling Billboard Fund, or click the link in today's podcast description. We're hoping that this billboard will inspire others to be brave in the face of the gender mob when they seek to coerce language, violate our boundaries, and colonize womanhood. The first five donors to give $50 or more will receive a piece of WLRN merch as a thank you gift. Head over to Give, Send, Go to contribute now. And thank you as always, sisters. This is Joe Brew, and I love listening to WLRN. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in to WLRN's 84th edition podcast on feminist collectives. To Bonnie Atwood, thank you for taking the time to share your experience with us. It was terrific to hear about the golden years of second wave feminism from someone who was actually there. Until next time, this is Sekhmet Shiawal signing off on another WLRN podcast episode. Thanks for listening to our WLRN podcast. We're a bunch of volunteers from near and far bringing light to issues related to the fight for women's rights. We speak truth to whatever power is trying to keep us silent and to whomever is willing to listen. There is always room for more. If you would like to join us, check out our site at WLRNmedia.com. While you are there, in addition to reviews, articles, transcripts, and podcasts, you can find the donate button to support the cause. To buy WLRN merchandise, look for the shopping cart icon where you will see mugs, t-shirts, tote bags, and stickers. In solidarity with reality-based people, this is Margaret, signing off for now. And I am Thistle Patterson. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will focus our attention on and honor the actions of mothers in the International Women's Speak Out movement, inspired by Kelly J. Keene and her tenacity and fantastic grassroots organizing skills. The show will be out just in time for Mother's Day and also marks our 85th show and seven years of co-producing a podcast every month without fail. Congratulations to all of the sisters who are currently part of the WLRN Collective and to those sisters who helped build our fempire in the past and will help build it in the future. And thanks to you, dear listeners and supporters. We are 100% volunteer-powered and listener-sponsored feminist community radio for and by women. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month. So look for our next one on Thursday, May 4th. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interview are released, 
please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. And finally, if you haven't yet, go to givesendgo.com slash billboard dash WLRN and donate to this fantastic project that will help get J.K. Rowling's words and stories out there that have been distorted and suppressed due to her speaking out in defense of women and girls' rights. That's givesendgo.com slash J.K. Rowling billboard dash W-L-R-N. Stay strong in the struggle and thanks for listening. This is Emily signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Jenna. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you. So please comment, like, and share widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? How will we find what needs to be shown? And then after that, where is home? Tell me, where is my home? Cause gender hurts.